Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Appreciate all that God is doing. And truly, God is moving. You may not see it all. You may not recognize. You may not uh, believe me tonight. But I tell you, God is moving. And so, uh, let's move with Him. Tonight, I want to ask you to open up your Bible to the book of Acts. And we're going to look at chapter 19. And as you know, our Bible reading plan has been taking us through the book of Acts, and there is no shortage of incredible inspiration from God in this amazing book of history, and uh, a blueprint for what the church is supposed to be. And, uh, And I'm so grateful for it. I'm grateful for God continuing to speak and reveal His heart through the Word of God tonight. So in Acts chapter 19, I want, I want to read a few scriptures there tonight. And I want to tell you the story of a man named Stan Mikita. And he was a professional hockey star from the 1970s and 80s. And early in his career, if you've ever been to a hockey game, you know that one of the highlights is when the players get into a fist fight with one another and usually knock out a, t- a tooth or two. So this man, Stan Mikita, he, uh, early in his career, he would often get into fights, more, more often than many of the other players. He'd, he'd be the one that drops the stick and goes after the guys, and he'd be the one uh, on the offensive and trying to, trying to hit people and hurt people. Well, Stan Mikita had an eight-year-old daughter. How many know children can sometimes see things in a way that we can't? And one day, his eight-year-old daughter comes and asks him a very grown-up question. Daddy, how can you score goals if you're always in the penalty box? And he thought about that, and he said, you're right. Maybe instead of uh, using all my energy to uh, try to pound the people's faces in and winding up in the penalty box for minutes and minutes for every single game, maybe... I could focus my efforts a little bit better on trying to win games and score goals. And as I thought about that story of uh, Stan Mikita, I wondered tonight how many believers, how many church people, how many churches and fellowships are not accomplishing what God has for us because we end up in God's penalty box. How many of us that God has big plans for us, God has achievements, God has things for us to do. And like this uh, hockey player, we find ourselves caught up in things that are just ending up to be a waste of time. I wonder how many souls are never won because of compromise and fear. I wonder how many temptations are not overcome 
because of the love of flesh and unwillingness. Unwillingness to do the difficult work of holiness and righteousness. And I wonder how many are not blessed by God because of the love of money and greed. In the scripture we're going to read, we are going to read about a riot that takes place in the city of Ephesus. And effectively what it does, at least for the moment, is it puts a hold on what God is trying to do in this city. God is trying to save people. God is trying to do a good work. God is trying to raise up disciples and missionaries to reach the lost world in Asia Minor. But in this city in particular, there is something and a few somethings that stop the work of God. And I believe tonight we can learn uh, how it is that we can put a monkey wrench into the works of God, sometimes unwillingly or unwittingly. Other times we do it simply through uh, compromise. And I want to uh, preach a message tonight I've titled, What Stops the Gospel? And I want to read this scripture, giving you some context, first of all, as we start in Acts chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. It happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, an ancient city in Greece. After finding some disciples there, skipping down to verse 11, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now the question we have to ask as we're reading this, why is God using Paul and working these unusual miracles? I believe the answer to that question is because of the incredible response to the gospel. People wanted to be healed and believed God for healing. People sent, because they couldn't come in person, they would send articles of clothing or handkerchiefs or, or whatever it was, and, and the Apostle Paul would... would put his hands on those, on those clothing, and send them back. And people, just by the contact of that clothing, that they would be healed. Incredible miracles. Why? Was it because Paul was some superhuman, you know, a- apostle, man of God? Well, not just that, but because of the people's great faith, God was moving in that place. Now skip down to verse 18. Many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted up the value of these books, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So one thing about silver is that the the general uh, value of silver doesn't change over time. You uh, You can today, you can estimate the value of 50,000 pieces of silver, uh, some estimates put it between 2 and $3 million. I'm going to come back to that. Verse 23 says, And about that time... Oh wait, let me read verse 20 first. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. That's called revival, folks. When the, 
The wicked uh, magic books of the pagans are being destroyed and the word of God is growing mightily and prevailing. That's a move of God, isn't it? That means God is moving in this city. Disciples are being raised up. People are being saved. Miracles are happening all about. And then this, verse 23, and about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. We're going to read about this commotion here in just a few moments. Let's pray, asking God to help us. Lord, we come by the blood of Jesus once again. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what we can learn. I pray, God, that there would be no person and no no idea, that there would be no um, philosophy or way of our lives that would stand in the way of revival. God, don't let us be a hindrance to what your spirit is trying to do in our church, and in our city. I pray, God, that you would open the gates and pour out revival in our hearts and on this, uh, on this city, in this time, in our communities. God, we're desperate for you to move in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. What stops the gospel? We're about to find out. So first of all, I want to show you the, the incredible move of God that is happening in the city of Ephesus here. And I want to say that when God is moving, you need to move with Him. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is alive. He is not dead. He is working in hearts and lives. He is moving in the lives of your uh, neighbors, your friends, your co-workers. And uh, what what we are supposed to do as believers, we are supposed to be His hands and His feet. And that means where God is moving, we've got to move with Him. So let's look at some of the marks of revival that took place in this city of Ephesus. Number one is what we see is the miracles that God did. Miracles. Again, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Now I want you to see this partnership, which is all throughout the Word of God, which is a common theme again and again. It is a divine partnership between God and man. Did you catch that? Verse 11 said that God worked the miracles. But how did He do it? He worked those miracles by the hands of Paul. Miracles are possible. Miracles are available. Miracles can be done and will be seen in 2022. The question is, by whose hands? This is the difficulty of every generation of the church. We sit back and we pray, oh God, God give us miracles. Oh God, send your spirit. God give us revival. And while we're praying, God is up in heaven saying, why don't you pray for yourself? Why don't you believe God, step out in faith? Why don't you find a few sick people and lay your hands on them? Many times we are waiting for God. Well, God is waiting for us. This is a signature of any thriving heart that beats for God, of any church. If God is in it, there will be miracles. If God, listen, if all we do is, uh, is concoct the schemes and the plans of men, then we are not a church. We're no better than the Moose Lodge, whose uh, placard is on the front of this building, right? 
And for years, they occupied this building, and they put on little plays and shows, and they drank their beer and their alcohol, and they came together and did good things for their community. God help us if that's all that we are. We are not a moose lodge. We are not a community organizing group. We are a church of the living God, of the risen Savior. And by the very fact of we are connected to a a resurrected Savior, we have the power of life. Resurrection power available, but it's by our hands. We must believe God for miracles. In our most recent Testimony Tuesday, I was uh, speaking to uh, a, a brother, a pastor down in Stark, Florida, Pastor Kevin Baker, and he told a testimony of something that happened when his church was, uh, was er- early on and growing. And uh, he was telling about uh, uh, the wife of one of the men who came in. So this, this man had come into the church. It's actually, he's actually a pastor now, too. He's named Pastor John Taylor. And so he, he's describing when this man came in and got saved in his church, he had his kids with him, but his wife wasn't there. So the story was that she was, by her own testimony, she was strung out on cocaine. And she had been in rehab uh, for several months trying to get clean. And so there he is, and, and you know, the, the marriage was just a complete mess, and, and they, uh, you know, they were trying to, to come back together, but man, that, that's a really hard situation. Drugs and alcohol and the party lifestyle, that's what she was into. And so she had been with other men, and it was, just, it was just a mess. And so here he comes into the church, he gets saved, his kids are with him, and she gets out of rehab. And now, now she comes to visit. She, she had gotten saved in that drug rehab, it was a Christian ministry. She came back, and, and now uh, they're, they're trying to work it out. Pastor Baker said that one day she came to him, and she said, Pastor, I had this wild dream, and I was hoping that you could interpret it. So he's not known for interpreting dreams, okay? He's just, a, he's just an average guy. If you ever met Pastor Baker, he's a great guy, but, you know, he, he's just... He's just a, a Midwest country boy, you know? And so uh, he said that he, he felt uh, intimidated by this request. But what he did was she told him the dream, all the details, all the weird stuff, and he goes home and he prays. He says, God, I want you to give me something. I want you to show me something. Tell me something about this dream. And he said, believe it or not, in the middle of the night, he woke up with a God-spoken revelation of what that dream meant. And he came back and delivered that interpretation to this woman. And that was the day, that was the moment that set her life on track, that the marriage came back together. Today they're pastoring. And he attributes that to the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason I'm telling this testimony is because we must have miracles. We must have miracles. We must see God move in our church, in our homes, in our family. We must believe God for miracles. This is what happened in the book of Acts. Here in Ephesus, God was working unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. But this is not the only time. The book of Acts was experiencing great miracles. Acts 5, verse 12, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders. Say the word many. Many signs and wonders were done among the people. Acts 14.3, therefore they stayed a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, 
and granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. This is exactly what Jesus promised to those who would follow Him. Mark 16, verse 17. These signs will follow those who believe. In My name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents and drink anything deadly. It will by no means hurt them. They lay hands on the sick and they will recover. When's the last time God used your hands to do some of those things? Jesus promised His disciples, John 14, 12, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who believes in Me, the works that I do, He will do. And greater works than these. Jesus promised to those who followed Him, Yeah, you've seen what I've done. That'll be nothing compared to what you will do. Greater works will be done in My name by you. Hebrews 2.4, God bearing witness with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Listen, don't grow accustomed to Christianity minus miracles. Don't grow accustomed to that. Don't get used to that. Don't get comfortable with that. Listen, I, I, I'm not here to tell you that we're demanding miracles from God like He's a you know, Santa Claus or have to, you know, have to uh, invite the genie out of the bottle and force Him to do our will. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that God has miracles for His church to perform. Can I tell you, every person who gets saved is a miracle. Every person who's baptized in water is a miracle. Every person who's baptized in the Holy Spirit speaking in new tongues is a miracle. Every time we pray for the sick, hey, you know, we, we do that often enough that that can become routine. But that's not routine. When God heals people of their infirmities, that is a reason for us to rejoice. And I want to tell you that's not just something that should be happening right here at the altar in our church. That anything that these disciples did in the book of Acts, you can do. You can do. And you can do. And you can do. And you can do. There is nothing that prevents you from believing God for signs, miracles, and wonders done by your hands. Do you know what's hindering you? Your faith. What kind of miracles will we believe God for? Miracles of healing. Financial miracles. Sometimes you need a financial miracle, don't you? Sometimes you need God to move. There's no other way for it to work. We've, we've bumped up against some financial desperate times in this church in the past. I want to tell you, God has come through. And sometimes I think maybe God puts us into those situations just to see. You still trust God. We're going to need miracles. Families need God's miracles. You need miracles when you're going to raise teenagers. You're going to need miracles in your marriage. But I want to tell you, we serve a God of miracles. Mark 9, verse 23. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. We sang it tonight. Mark eleven twenty-three. I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, 
He will have whatever he says. Oh, well, Jesus is just being, you know, very metaphoric and symbolic and we shouldn't take that literally. Then why did he say it? How about removing a mountain of doubt? How about removing a mountain of sin? How about removing a mountain of unbelief? Hebrews 11.6, let me remind you, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Is God doing miracles in your life? Is God doing miracles through your life? And if not, why not? Has God changed? Have miracles all of a sudden become unavailable? Oftentimes, we don't see miracles because we don't believe for miracles. Jesus, He rebuked the disciples. O ye of little faith. It is not tonight that we fail to believe in, that we believe because God does miracles. That's not it. What it is tonight is that God works miracles when we believe Him. These miracles that God was doing through the Apostle Paul in the city of Ephesus led to community miracles. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. They were personal. God was healing people. But then something remarkable happened as the revival began to spread in this city. Verse 19, again, this incredible event. It says that many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Again, today's value was somewhere between two and three million dollars that's a lot of money my question is how come they didn't sell it and give the money to the church that would have been uh that would have been very very uh, intelligent to do uh, why didn't they sell it uh how come nobody stopped it and said guys don't you know the value of these magic books maybe we we could feed a lot of hungry people here 
See, the reason is tonight, God was moving. And their conviction was to burn millions of dollars worth of pagan materials rather than try to get its value. You know why? Because if you sell that magic book to somebody else, guess what they're going to do with it? They're going to practice more magic. They said, we'd rather pay the price. We would ra- our salvation to us is worth far more than these millions of dollars that are going up in flames. What's your salvation worth? What are you willing to burn up that is hindering you from living for God? You know, we, we, used to have, uh, we used to have destruction parties in our churches. We used to have parties where people would bring their porn-filled computers and smash them on the altar. We used to have parties where people would bring in their, uh, <laughs> their albums full of CDs. That's going to tell you how old I am. I had one of those albums full of CDs, man, and all of it was the wicked music of the world that kept my mind perverted. And I remember one night as a new convert, God dealt with me. And I went to the dumpster behind the church and I started breaking those CDs into the metal dumpster. And I had a meeting with God at the dumpster that night. Why? Because it was worth more. It was far better for me to destroy those things than to try to pass them off to somebody else who's going to use them for sin. What about you? These personal incredible miracles lead to a community repentance. This is what this is. It's a sign that the whole uh, community of faith, that they're giving up their pagan beliefs. This is like Old Testament stuff. Tearing down of idols and raising up a new standard. This is a mark of incredible revival. To me, it shows that their salvation, their right countenance with God was worth more than two million dollars if you got an offer for a job salary two million dollars it's going to take you out of God's will worth it some of y'all thinking about it going to take you away from where God saved you from the relationships that keep you saved Let's look at what stopped this incredible revival. Because how quickly the tide can turn. There is amazing revival. There's a church in Ephesus. They're thriving. There's people joining every day. There's people being saved and healed. The whole community is burning up their magic books, even at great cost. And yet, how quickly things can change. Verse 34 There is, uh, all the way at the end of the chapter, this is how this chapter ends, uh, that they begin crying out for two hours. I want you to think about that. They're chanting, they're crying, they're, they're making known to all the world, great is Diana of the Ephesians. This is a demonic, idol worshiping chant that is ultimately a rejection of Jesus and the gospel that is being preached. How does this happen in the same chapter? How does this happen that uh, in the beginning, God's doing all these amazing miracles that people are burning up their magic books, and at the end of this same chapter, there they are chanting two hours in a row, 
Great is Diana, our false god, the god of the Ephesians. Get out of here with your gospel message. How quickly can a city reach this point of demonic rejection of the message of the gospel? I think there's three things that are revealed to us in this scripture that are revival stoppers, that are gospel killers. And I pray tonight that God would reveal them in our own hearts tonight. Number one is the love of money. Verse 24 tells us how this began. A certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Okay, a little bit of background here. The city of Ephesus was famous in the world, in the ancient world, because in Ephesus there was a great temple that was built to the goddess named Artemis or Diana, depending on who you ask. And it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was an incredible thing that they had built. And so it was a point of, uh, of national pride, you could say, to the Greeks that were there and the Romans who were occupying. They used this place as a public place of worship. There's a reason why they called it a temple. Because at a temple, guess what happens there? Sacrifices, worship. Uh, and all of it was, was false idolatry. There was pagan worship happening there. There was uh, temple prostitutes going in and out all day. Uh, I don't even want to go into detail and tell you all of the wicked stuff that was happening because of this temple. But it was a, an amazing place. It, people would come from all around to observe the, the grand construction of this temple of Artemis. And so this uh, temple... Something that came with it was a whole industry of idol makers. This man, Demetrius, apparently, was a, was in, uh, he, was, he was a silversmith, which means that he would take silver and craft it into small idols in the shape of this goddess, Diana. And he made quite a living because of the people who would come and, uh, and worship uh, the goddess Diana, and they would buy a little idol to take home with them. And he would, his, whole, his whole life, his, all of his prosperity came as a result of uh, this idol worship. So think, of, think about Demetrius for a second, this man who's complaining. What has he just observed? He has just observed all of the magicians burning their books in the center of town worth $2 million. And where does his mind go next? We're next on the chopping block. Because if our city begins to believe in Jesus, that means they're not going to worship the goddess Diana anymore. And that means it's going to hit my bottom line. That means I need to stand up against this. You know something interesting? Uh, we pray. I don't know about you. I pray for wicked businesses to be shut down. For years, down in Chandler... When I first got saved, we were in a little, uh, the church building was in a strip mall, and at the end of that strip mall was a lingerie store. And every time I'd go to church, man, uh, uh, you know, there's lots of young men going to the church, and that was a point of temptation. If you walked out the front door of the church and turned left and walked 50 feet, that was a point of temptation. 
And so I can remember, God shut that place down. Every time I drove by that place, I'd say, God shut that place down. You know, it took about 15 years. But guess what? No more lingerie store. There is a, a place on, uh, on uh, there used to be a place on, on the intersection of Arizona Avenue and Chandler Boulevard called Pecos Lounge. It was a standard of the city of Chandler. When, back when it was in cowboy days, it was a place where uh, if you drove by on a Friday night or a Saturday night, it'd be the biggest party in town. All of the cowboys and all of the Mexicans would get together and drink and fight and drink and fight. And the police would show up at about 1 a.m. Every, every weekend. And guess what, man? That was, that was where all the wickedness was happening. Where all the bar flies would show up and then pair off with each other. And you know what? The Chandler Church was right around the corner. And there's people in our church for the last 40 years that were praying, God, shut that place down. Shut it down, Lord. Because there's a lot of wickedness happening there. You know what? It took about 30 years. But if you drive by that, that uh, intersection today, there's no Pecos Lounge. It's gone. We're praying for some businesses to be shut down because of what they stand for. We're praying for people like Demetrius to go out of business. Or at least to start making something else. <laughs> Please. You know, uh, whenever I drive down Newtown Road, I say a prayer. I say, God, shut that Planned Parenthood down in Jesus' name. A place where lives are being destroyed every day. Hundreds of them. Innocent children being ripped apart in their mother's wombs. And I pray God shut it down. God give those doctors better offers to do other kind of work. You know, it might take 20 years. It might take 30. It's been, what, it's been almost 50 plus years since Roe v. Wade. And we don't know, but I want to tell you, there's a lot of people praying. Because here's the thing. When people get saved, when people get their hearts right with God, they will never want to go to a Planned Parenthood. So is it any wonder then why they come against our very way of life, our belief system? The love of money can stop revival dead in its tracks. 1 Timothy 6.10 for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I have observed as some people make a decision to work more hours at the expense of missing church, not only does it kill them spiritually, but it does damage to the church that they leave behind. I have observed that, uh, listen, I know everybody's got to use money. Everybody has to make a living. You have to pay a rent or a, or a mortgage payment. I understand that. Money is a part of life. But the love of money, when you fall in love with it, it can kill revival. Proverbs 1.19. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. I preached in the book of Jude recently where it says in Jude 11, Woe to them, they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. In Revelation 2.14, as Jesus rebukes His church, He says, I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Why did uh, Balaam do that? 
because Balak was lying in his pockets. He was in love with his possessions. What about you? I'm losing eye contact with people. For the sake of a few dollars, have we given up on revival? The gospel going forward? The second thing that we see in our scripture is idolatry. Verse 28. When they heard this, they were full of wrath. They cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, on and on. I've been to this city in Ephesus, and you can still see that theater where they rushed into. Uh, by now, the, uh, the, the temple of Diana that, that they're defending here, it's all been torn down. It was torn down in, uh, in the 200s when Christians came and took control of that city. They couldn't abide it, by the way. It was such a place of pagan worship that the Christians had to tear it all the way down, brick by brick. It was that wicked of a place. They used the marble and the stones and built other buildings. They couldn't leave it there. But you can go today to the city of Ephesus. Uh, it's in modern-day Turkey. And uh, what you will discover is that Ephesus was completely destroyed. I mean, it was, it was overrun. There was, in fact, there was a time that it was a port city, that the water came to the edge of the city of Ephesus, but because there was a change in the landmass, I think there was a, uh, an earthquake or something that happened and lifted up the land, and so now the ocean was far away. And so you go there today, it's a desert place. city of Ephesus is gone. The temple of Diana is gone. But the church of Jesus Christ still stands. What is revealed by this story is how in love with idols we as people can be. It boggles the mind to some degree. There they are, they're chanting, Great is Diana! Great is Diana! Great is our temple! Why? What is Diana? She's a statue. She's an idol. Why are we so seduced? Why do we find this? Yeah, I would say that if there's one sin that stands out, especially in the Old Testament, above all the rest, this is it. Idol worship. It's the wicked gods. And the thing is that it's so funny to me that we fall in love with things that are made with men's hands. God mocks this in, in the book of Isaiah. He, he says, what, what can your God do for you anyway? You take a block of wood, you carve an image into it, and then you fall down and worship it as if it can do something for you. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why that's such a temptation for us. Because we want a God that we can understand. That's why idol worship is so appealing to us. We want a God that we can touch and see and feel. What that really is, is a God made in your own image. Maybe you studied, my, my, some of our, uh, our kids in, in the school did some Greek mythology, some study of Greek mythology uh, in the past. And what, you know what's funny about studying Greek mythology? Is that all of those Greek gods and goddesses, they're all wicked. They'll do, they do wicked things. Like what kind of a god is that? It's a god made in our image. It, what it really is, is a reflection of human beings. And that's why it's worthy of some understanding that you, that you, you know, figure, figure those out a little bit because they reflect our own fallen human nature. 
Idolatry, stated simply, is when you love anything more than you love Jesus. Whatever it is that you put in first place of your life can become an idol. A person can become an idol. A relationship, a job title, a political party or a TV station, a country, nationalism can become an idol. Money can be an idol, of course. Anything that you put before your love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, you may not fall down to a statue made out of wood or silver, but you're an idol worshiper nonetheless. That's why in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul warns us, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. He says, Do not become idolaters, as were some of them. John repeated this in 1 John 5, 21, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why would he say that? You know why? Because worshiping idols is tempting to us. A car can become an idol. Possession. Some clothing. Even your own body can become an idol. I've been going to the gym, you know, and I see people there that are there every single time that I'm there. Are you there every day? What's wrong with you? Already in shape. (laughs) Maybe it's self-image. Can become an idol. I'll leave it there. The third thing that we see in our scripture is simple human pride. Verse 34 says, When they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried for two hours. I'm trying to imagine this. Like you can't get people to shout the same thing over and over for more than 30 seconds. Right? Like you go to a ball game and you can't even get people to to sing the seventh inning stretch correctly. You know what I'm saying? Like, But there they are chanting in unison two hours in a row. Great is Diana. What is that? It's demon-inspired is what it is. It's my tribe and no other. We have no place for a different idea. So don't tell us about it. They're shouting you down. This is original cancel culture. We don't want to hear what you have to say. My tribe, my team, my colors. And I don't want to hear anything you have to say. I'll just say this as we close here tonight. Be careful if your faith cannot correct your business practices. If your faith has nothing to say about your politics. If your faith has nothing to say about your economic plan and your budget that you've put together. I love budgets. I'm on the Dave Ramsey team. But you know what? There's got to be room for God in your budget. There's got to be room for God in your, in your life plan. Five years down the road, where do I see myself? I see myself living for the Lord. Is it possible you've created an idol for yourself and like these people, inspired by hell, chanting, great is Diana, I don't want to hear any other ideas. Here's the hope of our scripture. The gospel moves forward, even if a city doesn't. If you turn the page and go to Acts 20, verse 1, this is what it says. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, he embraced them, and he departed to go to Macedonia. He said, okay, I get the hint. I'm shaking the dust, and I'm going to a new city. So right there, we need to take a lesson. Those who are faithful to the kingdom principles, faithful to discipleship and church planting, at some point we have to recognize Uh, I'm not going to make any impact here. 
I've got to move on. Why? Because the need of the hour necessitates that there's only a, a limited amount of time. I can't spend more days here in Ephesus trying to crack through a, a, a brick wall where, God, uh, where they're not going to allow God to move. So he says, I'm going to Macedonia. I'm going to a place where people are open. I'm going to world evangelism, baby. Matthew 10, 14, Jesus said, Whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake the dust from your feet. Don't be discouraged. Don't be, don't be uh, filled with uh, anger and rage. He said, okay, they've not rejected me. They've rejected Jesus. So I'm, go- I'm moving forward. Now, Acts 13, 15, they shook the dust from their feet and went to Iconium. Acts 18, 6, when they opposed him and blasphemed, these were the, the Jews that he was preaching to in the synagogue, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. This is essentially the same thing that happened in Jesus' ministry too. He said, I came first for the Jews. I came for my own people first. But I was rejected. And so, this message goes to the least of these. The hope there is that, guess what? The kingdom keeps going. That, that hope does not apply to the city of Ephesus, at least not yet. God will move again in the city of Ephesus. There, we do have a book called Ephesians. Thank God that the church there survives and keeps going. But listen, revival will move forward. Can I tell you that some of the greatest moves of God in our world today are not in America? They're in China. They're in Afghanistan, Iran. They're in Africa. That's where God is moving, man. Sometimes I feel like, uh, like because of our wealth and because of our love of stuff, and sometimes I believe maybe our attention should be better spent Tonight, I believe God wants to move here too. God has not forgot about Virginia Beach. God still has a plan for sinners right here in our city, in our community, in our town, in your, uh, in your workplace and in your neighborhood. And we've got to be the ones that contend for miracles so that we can see God move once again. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes as we believe God to help us. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.